Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is July 8th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and today we have John, Dr. J. Nigerian on the show. John is a former linebacker for the Chicago Bears. He's a floor trader, or he was a floor trader for over 25 years in the options market, a media analyst, and also the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And, you know, honestly, I'm not even doing enough justice to, for what John has done over the last few decades. But, John, thanks so much for being here. Arusha, I, I love your work. I've enjoyed a lot of uh, uh, Mr. O'Neill's products through the years, um, daily graphs and IBD and so forth. So it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That's so cool to hear. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets. We'll talk about options, and then we will end the episode with a few current ideas. So let's get to the current market. The market is in a strong uptrend. Uh, there are zero distribution days on the NASDAQ, uh, but four on the S&P 500. It, uh, this resilient market continues. There seems yeah. to be a floor constantly. And uh, John, what are your thoughts about this market? I think uh, that we're all uh, uh, somewhat um, nervous whenever we see five-day rallies with no pullback, yeah. um, seven-day rallies, and so forth. But um, there are some significant drivers, and we know mostly what they are. Um, Tina, you know, uh, the, the, there is no alternative. Um, also, the, uh, the idea that uh, with the Fed at the zero bound and willing to stay there for a prolonged period of time, and with yet another uh, stimulus that may be close to a trillion dollars again, um, and I'm not saying that's bad, right. because I think you know when the house is on fire, you got to do everything you can to put out that fire. Right. And so uh, I'm lucky. I think you guys over there are as well that we have online businesses. So we are some of the folks that are lucky enough to thrive during this time. But for people that require um, people getting on ships, getting on airplanes, coming into my hotel rooms, um, flying on airplanes, I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Restaurants, you know, my heart goes out to those people. And since this is a forced shutdown, Arusha, mm -hmm. I don't know what choice we have except to say, you know, here's enough to get you through and let's try to incent people the right way to hire back people that they've laid off. No, it, it, it's so true. Just the environment itself, uh, it, it's so unique and, and unprecedented, uh, which, which makes it pretty amazing that this market is in all-time highs. But mm -hmm. uh, you've been doing this lo long enough. Uh, we know that you don't, you don't first you don't fight with the fed but you also listen to the market yep you and we'd all be wise to take that advice um you know i was surprised uh that the oracle of omaha um didn't take his own advice however hmm. when he's he's always the guy um you know make sure you buy when there's blood in the streets when they're when they're greedy be fearful when they're fearful be greedy those are his words right and at the bottom of the market, this guy's dumping out of stocks, um, in particular, of course, airline stocks. And I think that might have been 
um, not necessarily the bottom for those stocks, but I think with his time frame as an investor and as a human being, you know, how much longer is Warren Buffett going to be at the head of Berkshire Hathaway? As long as he wants to, of course. But, you know, does is there anything else he wants to do when you're in your high 80s? And do you really want to wait 10 years or five years for the airlines to get back on their feet fully? and to see that same sort of trajectory that he thought they had when he invested. Um, so that's why he dumped out. But the fact that he bought it back in this past week, I think that's another catalyst for the market to go higher, that Buffett finally says, okay, okay, I'm back. I'm putting money into the market, just like you guys. Yeah, no, and, and that is, that that's interesting, uh, because sometimes, it, and we were all gonna make mistakes, Right. Mm -hmm. And and it's up to us also to catch ourselves and realize, hey, you know what? I was wrong here. Let me do something to correct those actions. Yep, absolutely. And he did. You know, he cut the losses in that sector. I always say that you have to know how to take your losses and let your winners run. Right. And it's easier said than done, especially the cutting losses part. Although more people, Arusha, can do that then can correctly take profits. I mean, because a lot of people, they get so nervous and they're so happy to have that profit that wham, they knock it out. And all of a sudden, Apple's 388 instead of, you know, 320 where they thought it topped out or whatever, uh, because they bought it at 280 and they thought they were geniuses. Could have had 100, instead they only had 40. Um, but that happens all the time. But you have to be disciplined about taking profits and cutting losses. Yep, I, I, the, I've always told people that the first couple of years, you can get the buying down right, managing risk right also, but the learning how to take profits, learning how to manage your positions, uh, that's a lifelong kind of lesson right there that, that yep. uh, it takes. I agree. So John, let's get into how you got into options because uh, you were a linebacker for the Bears. So take us back to, to that time and, and walk us through that uh, when, when you were a linebacker for the Bears. Sure. Um, I was a free agent. Um, I played at one of the schools that's behind Arusha uh, on his uh, bookshelf back there. I played at Cal briefly, um, but uh, I enjoyed my college career. I had a pretty good one, but I was not a high round draft choice. I was a free agent. And so I came to Chicago when they gave me an offer. Um, it looked like a, I'd made a great decision because their starting middle linebacker quit probably because he saw me and he figured I can't beat that guy. No, <laughs> he quit actually Arusha because um, he was making more money trading at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange during the off season than he was being the starting middle linebacker for the Bears. Wow. A guy named Tom Hicks from Ohio State. And I think he quit when he was 25. That's you incredible. Know? And it wasn't from, you know, head injuries or, you know, he wasn't worried about CTE. He was just saying, you know, you're paying me a quarter of a million dollars, which is a lot, but I'm making double that trading at the CME in the off season. Why should I stay at this? Wow. So anyway, so I got to... Uh, you know, my odds of making the team looked better. Uh, but unfortunately, Mike Singletary um, was everything and then some. 
that the Bears drafted in the second round, and he became, of course, a Hall of Famer, and he took me out. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and for those of who aren't, aren't up to with football, Mike Singletary might be the greatest <laughs> middle linebacker, or he's definitely in the conversation. Yep, he is, and he's a great guy. And uh, at least I can point to, hey, I was taken out by a Hall of Famer. There's a lot yeah. of people that get taken out by people that are gone out of football the next year. So Absolutely, like yeah. So, so obviously that was a, a pretty big disappointment. Uh, you know, how, how did you, you know, recover from that? How did you pick up uh, from that? Because uh, it's very easy, to, at least for, from my perspective, just to fall apart at that time and maybe disappear for a couple of years. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was tough. It was nice that I went down to the floor because I loved Chicago. So I went down to the floor to be a trader, um, actually to be a clerk for free um, to learn the ropes. Yeah. Uh, but I went down to the floor and um, I enjoyed that a lot. And a lot of people would come up to me and say, hey, you played for the Bears this year. What are you doing <laughs> down here? And so that helped a little get me over the hump. Mm. But then the fact that I didn't understand it at all, because I was planning on being an architect in college. And oh, wow. so uh, being a trader was not in the cards for me. But, but you went to Cal, though. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I figured, you know what, if, if I can do math and all of these guys and gals, all they do all day is fractions, you know, seven eighths plus um, three quarters equals, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the faster you can do it in your head, yeah. the more money you can make. So we did all that. Um, and the fact that it took me a while to get um, pricing of options and calls and puts and spreads, that was at least three or four months of hell. And, then, and how did you get up to speed? Because that, well, for a lot of people, that's going to take years to, to really get down. I watched probably two one-hour videotapes every day from this other trader who had made hundreds of tapes wow. about trading. So I just go up there and plug in the VHS and watch this thing and, you know, fall asleep <laughs> uh, and then wake back up uh, and then go back down to the floor. You know, during my lunch break, I would do that uh -huh. uh, and then do it after the market closed as well. The tapes helped but it was more or less, Arusha, just the repetition. Yes. And then three months later, all of a sudden, you know, this light came on and I got it. And literally all at once, I got it. And, and, and that's a huge lesson right there. I mean, not just in life, but especially also in trading. Uh, that repetition, a lot of people, and I'm sure you've seen this because you've been doing this for a long time too and uh, coaching a lot of people uh, out there. Uh, a lot of people give up way too soon. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, especially something like derivatives, um, mm -hmm. you know, options and futures and things like that. But one of the things you and I have to talk about is Robin Hood at some point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because there are so many people who are gravitating towards options now because of Robin Hood. Okay. And a lot of them are trading through there. And I think that as much as anything is uh, where a lot of the new traders in the market are going and i got some ideas for you as to why that is okay so so let's get so you, you're watching these tapes every day falling asleep waking up absorbing all of it finally after three months it clicks right everything comes together what were the next steps that, that you took after that 
So then I took all the money I had. I made about nineteen or twenty thousand dollars playing for the Bears because I okay. only made it four games. I didn't make it the whole season. Okay. And um, so these days, you know, the worst player on the team makes that a week. <laughs> yeah. And well, and if you make the roster, it's also guaranteed for the whole year too, right? These no. Days? No, no, you get paid by the week unless oh, you wow. have a you know no cut contract or whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But like Mahomes. Oh yeah. my gosh, did you see that one? Yes. He's got a $407 million contract. Yeah. Well, well you, you can see I have a Raider helmet in the back too. That's like, uh, that's another 12 years of me having <laughs> to watch Mahomes throw five touchdowns a game on the Raiders. So, uh, right. yeah, I, I was a little sad, but it was a smart move by KC. Uh, but honestly, I'm not sure if, if, I mean, it was a cool move by Mahomes, but. He might have left some money on the table, though, too, with, with his nope. talent. He didn't leave much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To your point, I took my measly twenty grand, and I bought a seat that allowed me to trade 16 stocks, just 16. Okay. So it's a, it was a Midwest seat. They had the full SIBO seat that was trading for about 150 I couldn't afford that. So I bought the little seat, traded on the little seat for about six months, made enough money that I could go on the big seat. I didn't buy it yet, yeah. but I went on the big seat. I needed the money in my account to trade. Um, but like I say, luckily, that was 1982 at that point. I started in 81. Yeah. By 1982, I was getting it and starting to trade. And then luckily, it did one of those hockey stick graphs like that, that yep. once I got it and I stood in a good pit, the IBM options pit, wow. I started making money. Wow. And, and so, so you did that for a number of years and then you eventually went off and started your own company too, right? Yep. Um, I worked with a partner until 88. Okay. Um, trading with him and then, and we backed traders and things like that. Then I started my own company called Mercury Trading um, because Mercury is the God of commerce and the markets and the protector of traders. I love it. Um, so uh, I, I decided to name it after that. I always named all of my companies until recently. I named all of them after something from Greek mythology um, because I'm a big fan. That's so, so of course, Norse mythology with Thor and all the Marvel characters, you know, a lot of those are based on mythology as well. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so then I started backing traders. And as you might imagine, when you put up money for somebody else, you want to make sure they know enough not to lose your money. Right, exactly. So um, that's when I started uh, becoming a, both a teacher and a trader. So I started teaching these young guys and young gals how to trade. And most of it was what you and I talked about at the top. Uh, most of it was about, okay, here's how you cut losses. Mm -hmm. Here's how you make profits and how you let them run. And here's how you keep rolling your positions, you know, day after day, week after week when you're in, you know, a bull run or when you're in a bearish market. And, and so, so you, you went to that learning curve, you got people on board there and then you started to get your, your brother involved too then, right? Yep. Then in uh, probably, I think about 1993, my brother came down Okay. and he was playing, he actually wore a Raiders helmet for a while. There we he go. He played for Seattle uh, the wow. Vikings, Tampa Bay, and the Raiders. Amazing. And then he played in the World League for Sacramento. 
Oh, very. And good. he's got a world championship ring from that. But wow. he was both smart and aggressive, of course, because he was a linebacker in pro football for six years. So he's pretty aggressive. Yeah. And um, he got it very fast. He would always stop by and see me on his way to play football that year. Mm-hmm. And then on his way home, he'd always stop through Chicago as well. And he kind of fell in love with the idea of trading. So when we finished or when he finished as a pro ball player, he said, you know what? Let me do this. I like the idea of doing this for a living. Yeah. So he uh, came down, started uh, as a clerk, but then figured it out like this wow. and wow. became one of the biggest traders on the floor. I mean – virtually fearless would trade a million shares of AOL when it was 80 bucks a share. And uh, most people can't even imagine what that's like. Yes. Yeah, he would do it every day. That's incredible. Now. Uh, so then, and so this was around mid nineties or so when, when your brother, when your brother came about. Yep. Um, and I'm then bored. we, uh, we traded until uh, basically as high frequency trading came about, and as it was migrating over to options, mm-hmm. you knew there was no way you could get in front of it um, yeah. because they just run you over. They, you know, pick your pocket and you'd never even know it. So um, we decided we either had to raise a bunch of money so that we could stay on the floor um, and hire the kind of tech staff that was necessary or go upstairs and trade off the floor without the obligations of trading on the floor. And so that's what we did. We said, let's give up the floor. Um, we sold the operation to Citadel, which okay. is a big hedge fund. Yeah. And um, then we went upstairs and just traded uh, basically just three of us, my brother Pete, myself, and our, uh, uh, the lady in the back office that handles all the trade reconciliation and um, all the economic filings with the IRS, with FINRA, with the SEC, and all that. And, and, then, so, and then after that, you, you started a new company together, right? Yep. Then we started, uh, um, let's see, I, I had Pete uh, call because I didn't want somebody to recognize my voice, but I, there were a bunch of guys that had websites that I wanted to buy. And I worried because I was on TV that somebody might recognize my voice. So I had Pete buy a bunch of websites for us. So we bought Trade Monster, Option Monster, Stock Monster, 401k Monster. We bought all these monsters. That's awesome. And once we had them all, then we launched a brokerage firm and an educational and subscription business. Um, We took in... uh, money from outside investors in 2014. Okay. So we launched that firm in 2006. 2014, we brought in outside money, and then we sold that to E-Trade in uh, 2016. And, and so you evolved from that, so you really took it to the education. And, and it's pretty amazing right now because you know, options have been around for what, 30 something years, 40 something years. Uh, it, it's still a pretty much an unknown. So there, there's still more room in the education field. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, with the Robin Hood side, there are so many um, younger people 
that you know are used to doing this all day you know they're sitting there on their cell phone tapping away and things yeah. like that yeah. they're used to apps and a lot of those folks are the exact people that uh, sign up for our classes a lot of those folks and so now what we we sold everything to e-trade except our money management business and our education but they wanted the names um, so we gave them option monster and okay. then we said okay now we're market rebellion and uh, so we do subscriptions and education through Market Rebellion. And in the next little bit, we'll be relaunching a brokerage firm as well. Very cool. So let's take a quick break. Uh, the market continues to be an uptrend, uh, but don't let your emotions get the best of you, okay? Plan your trade, trade your plan, be disciplined and manage your risk. Uh, when we return, we are going to talk more about options with one of the true options experts here. So we'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot list, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. John Nigerian is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, John, let's talk about options, but uh, we'll, we'll let's go back to first to Robinhood uh, because uh, they're doing some pretty amazing things in the options world. Yeah, um, and I think some of it's Davy Day Trader Global. Yes, yes, <laughs> which is pretty D -D pretty incredible. Um, you know, Dave Portnoy over at Barstool Sports. Um, I think a lot of you know who he is, but for those of you who don't very irreverent um, look at sports and fantasy sports, gambling, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And he took in a lot of money from uh, the Chernin Group and then from uh, Penn, uh, Penn Gaming, I believe. Yes. And, um, you know, so it valued his media company at a high level. Now he took up some of that money and he said, you know what? I'm stuck at home. I'm going to trade. I'm going to make some money. And so, of course, he does. And um, he trades and he, you know, shows people right as he's trading what he's doing. He talks to them, you know, just like we're doing here um, with, you know, longer stream uh, tweets, if you will, you know, videos. Yeah. And he's very entertaining. He's been the Pied Piper for a lot of people that you know, found themselves in similar situation, except without the big pile of money, uh, but they're stuck at home. So a lot of them started trading. 
And a lot of them, the younger ones, I think, went to Robin Hood. And they went there because it's free, because it's an app. Uh, and uh, next thing you know, though, if you have a small account, you can't trade very much stock. Mm -hmm. You know, when Apple's trading for 380 bucks a share, um, you can't really buy a thousand shares of Apple right. when you have a $3,000 account, but you can trade options. And so I think a lot of those folks started learning about options and started leveraging their account because that's what options do. Um, you know, you can take a reasonable or an unreasonable amount of risk with options. I think they probably did both. I don't have the stats on that, but what I do have the stats on is that Robinhood grew to the second largest option broker, you know, like that. I mean, they opened millions of new accounts in the first quarter alone, which no one has ever done before. Yeah. So I am jealous of that, but I'm also, uh, I love that because again, a lot of their people come and get education from us. Yeah. And, and well, with Robinhood, one of, one of their other key things that they've done is they've gamified everything, right? So they made it really fun as opposed to when you were learning it, uh, you had to pull out the tapes and, and watch them over and over again, tr try to get these concepts down. They've at least gamified it to, to hold their interest a little bit more. Yep. Yes, they have. And uh, like I say, the proof's in the pudding. Um, yep. You know, uh, Schwab merging in with TD now, when they're finally merged together, they might still be bigger than Robinhood, but that's a might because Robinhood has grown that fast. They leapfrogged Schwab in the option space already, and only TD is bigger in options, retail options we're talking now. Yeah. Um, but the amount of contracts they trade um, is amazing. And, you know, I applaud that because I think you know, getting people in, just like Davey Day Trader says, um, you know, he's like, what does some 90-year-old dude in Omaha know about trading, huh? <laughs> Nothing. You know, he's selling airlines. I'm buying airlines. <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? Right. I've never seen his shtick. Um, Davey Day Trader Global is funny. He's um, <laughs> And irreverent. But obviously, I have a lot of respect for Warren Buffett. Not as Absolutely. a trader, however. I have more respect for Davey as a trader than I do for Warren Buffett. That's interesting. Here's a guy that took some of his millions and just was willing to basically be the emperor's new clothes, go naked in front of the world, mm -hmm. and just start trading. That takes guts. Um, sure. And then you've got Warren Buffett, who is a very smart guy and very methodical and is an one of the best investors in history. Yeah. But there's a big difference between being an investor and being a trader. When you get, when you accumulate wealth, you can be an investor. When you need to build wealth, you've got to be a trader because unless your job pays you a lot, you're not going to get to that stage Warren Buffett is at um, by um, investing alone. Right. And also, another thing is also personality too, right? Figuring out the, the personality. With the options market, they're going to attract a certain type of personality. And also, that a certain type of personality is going to survive and thrive in the options market. 
what is that type of personality that you've noticed over the years uh, that does well in the options market? Generally analytical. Okay. Um, they don't have to be engineers um, or, you know, deep into math like I am, um, but they, they do need to be analytical. Um, uh, in other words, uh, especially now, because even though I call it trading, when you're off the floor, you're really not trading because the machines are doing all the trading. Yeah. You know, the algorithms are close to 90, between 80 and 90% of the volume that is traded on a daily basis are algorithms, meaning high frequency and algorithms that are programmed to buy at different levels yeah. or news reading algorithms that are gonna respond to headlines faster than the human can. Um, so that's the bulk of what happens in trading. As far as traders, which I count myself in the group, um, we're more like investors because we're off the floor, because there's nobody on the floors anymore. Mm -hmm. We're off the floor and we're putting on positions, even if it's just for the day or even if it's just for a few hours. But we're putting on a position and then taking it off, whereas the machines are buying at, you know, whatever, uh, 379.01 in Apple and selling at 379.02, you know, at the speed of light like that, like that. Yeah. That's yep. trading. What we're doing is investing with a longer time frame than six milliseconds. Yeah. Now, let's, so any other advice just for new people who want to get into options? Uh, we, we've gone over some of the basics, risk management, having a plan, uh, you, you know, letting your profits run. Any other kind of things that if for those who are new to options should consider before really starting to put more money to work? Um, they should definitely do some paper trading or some okay. simulated trades. In other words, you see me or Pete, my brother on CNBC, and you say, hey, he's talking about um, Microsoft or Apple or whatever it is. And he's talking about these calls that are being bought. So write them down on a piece of paper. See, you know, go on to IBD or wherever and find MarketSmith. Find what that option is. What is it trading for? Oh, it's $4.50. Then write it down and say, okay, what if I bought 10 of those at $4.50 and sold 10 of these above it um, for uh, $3.90? The difference between those two is how much money I have at risk in the markets. And then over the next few days, watch it each day and see how that thing moves up and down and say, wow, it went from basically uh, 60 cents to it expanded all the way to $1.40. I'm going to take it off or whatever and yep. write it down. Yep. Don't just look at it, write it down. And then you'll kind of get to understand your own risk tolerance, your own, um, you know, how the spreads work and things like that. Um, I'd always say paper trade before you really trade. And so now let's move on to another topic that you, you've been one of the the pioneers in uh, unusual options activity. And, and this is something that I love because our system is really based on unusual trading activity and trying to figure out what the, the big boys are doing. Talk about unusual options activity and why it's so significant. Okay. Um, when we left the trading floor, uh, which uh, you and I spoke of, um, all of a sudden you're upstairs and it's silent. You're not hearing anything. 
I mean, you can put on the TV, but you're still not hearing anything, yeah. nothing valuable, <laughs> you know, and I'm on TV, so I know. Um, <laughs> As opposed to when you were on the floor, you would get a feel for when, when you were training on the floor, you get a feel for how the market was moving, right? Exactly right. So when you're on the floor, you know that um, the, the Bear Stearns broker on this side of the pit is bidding for something. The Merrill Lynch broker on that side of the pit is offering something, you know, and you've got 30 other people in there and you're hearing all of this coming at you very fast. Mm -hmm. So again, your analytical skills were important at that point. Um, when you go upstairs, it's quiet and you don't know who the institutions are um, selling that day or which ones they're buying. You know, again, hands pulling towards you, you're buying, hands pushing, you know, if you can see my palms, I'm selling. So what we're looking for with unusual option activity is very similar, I'm sure, Arusha, to what you're looking for in the stocks. Yep. We're just looking in the options and we're looking for options that are bought in big blocks on the offer. The tough thing is that there are right now about 7 million quotes per second in the United States. Wow, wow. That's just the United States, 7 million quotes a second. And why is that? Because number one, there are strikes that are every $5 in most stocks. There are weeklies as well as options that go out several years in the future. And every time that underlying stock moves up or down, um, all of those prices change. All of them. Now, granted, some of them are only changing by a penny and so forth, but they're all moving up and down because the computer is driving those prices and that's what it's built to do, yeah. to move them up by a, you know, a fraction of a penny. If all of a sudden the stock moves up two cents, it moves them up a full penny and it moves the offer up and so forth. So when you're upstairs, you need to be able to see where did those options trade? Was it being sold on the bid, which might be a big institutional customer that owns a whole bunch of Boeing and sold calls as a covered right? Mm -hmm. I don't care about that because that's not giving me market direction. Yes. The fact that they own it for the long term, great. I'm not going to be in it for seven years. Um, the fact that somebody buys 10,000 calls in Boeing on the offer and through the offer is what I'm looking for. So our algorithm is set up to find that. Then we coattail on them. We follow that smart money into those trades. If it's calls, we're betting on the long side. If it's puts, we're betting on the short side. Our readings are probably 80-20 calls to puts as far as the big money. So you're looking for, so we'll, we'll use the call example here. They're looking for, they're going on the offer and you're comparing it also to the open interest, right? You're seeing how much versus the open interest? Yep, because we care about, for instance, was that an opening or closing trade? You don't know till the next day. Mm -hmm. So again, being analytical though, if there's an open interest of 2,000 contracts and we see 5,000 trade, we can say with some degree of certainty, at least 3,000 of those were brand new. That's a new trade. So if it happened on the offer and they were buying on the offer, then maybe they're closing out some of the calls that they'd written previously, but yeah. some of those must be new trades as well. And that's what we're following, the new trades. 
Yeah, and, and just for the listeners, I mean, this is very, very similar to what we're looking for in the stock market. We're looking for that, the, the explosion in, in the stock price, but also how's that volume? How's is the trading increase and versus just a normal average daily volume? There's a huge percentage above. The odds are that there are some new buyers coming into that stock. Exactly right. And that's what we're looking for is volume, um, volume on the offer, block trades, um, and the, the, the amount of information that's in an option trade versus stock is stunning because with the option, I know the expiration. So that's the time frame, Arusha. Yep. You know, if they're buying options that expire Friday this week, two days from now, that means they think they have IBD right now in their lap for tomorrow. Yep. You know, tomorrow's newspaper today, we like to say. So <laughs> they know that they've got information that nobody else has. At least that's what they think right. because they're buying an option that's out of the money with two days to go. And they're thinking, wow, you know, maybe they do know why the stock should pop. Like so now, instance, John, if you see something like that, where it's only two days before expiration and you want to take a trade, you, you have to adjust that trade to that time frame, or, 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 or I usually, do something. I right. usually follow them right into that trade. Okay. Sometimes as we get into those final couple days, I'll trade the weekly the next week and sell the ones that are expiring because we both know that the time decay is so fierce Right. on any short-term option, anything 30 days or less, you can hear it. You can, you know, it's like, it's like air escaping a balloon. You know, you can hear the time decay as the option's compressing. So, I don't mind pushing it out a week rather than being in the one that they're in. But yeah. a lot of times I will just buy that one thinking they must know. I mean, for instance, this week, First Solar. They came in and they bought a ton of First Solar calls. Okay. Um, we talked about it and uh, they were buying the 53 calls with the stock at 51. So what happened? The next day, Vivint or whatever got bought by Sun whatever. Um, so in other words, there was a deal in the solar space. Yep. So we're like slapping ourselves in the heads going, damn, somebody knew that yep. it was a solar deal, but they led us into the wrong stock. Yep. And then today, um, for solar pops, like almost $5, yep. and those calls go from whatever, you know, a buck to four bucks or something like that. So, you know, those short-term trades, like I say, there's so much information embedded in every trade. Expiration, in other words, time frame. Strike price, are they buying the at the money, um, an in the money, or an out of the money? Because again, that tells me somebody wanted how much leverage, um, how much risk are they taking in the trade? Um, and then um, we like the idea that we can limit our exposure with the option rather than if I would have just bought first solar stock and all of a sudden, you know, there's a misstep by the CEO or, you know, the CTO leaves the firm or whatever, mm -hmm. stock tanks $10, you lose dollar for dollar with stock. With the options, you know exactly how much you can lose and it's always a lot less than how much the stock can move on any five or 10% decline. Yeah, and, and that's a nice thing. I mean, your risk management essentially is baked in 
to to the option where yeah. it is limited. So so that is definitely a huge positive uh, for for the options game. Absolutely, and that's again, that's why we love it. Um, it lets me diversify. You know, whether you have a big account or a small account, you can diversify uh, because if let's say you had fifty grand, and um, obviously you can't trade but 500 shares, you know, you can't trade a thousand shares of Apple with 50 grand, right? But you can trade a whole bunch of Apple calls with 50 grand and still have money left over to trade Microsoft, to trade Zoom, to trade um, CRM, you know, to trade uh, First Solar. You know, there's so many different things you could do and still have money left over of that 50. Uh, but the trade-off is that the options expire and stocks are more or less perpetual. So, John, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation with options. We'll go over some examples. Uh, so stay tuned, and we will be back in a second. MarketSmith will give you a huge edge in the stock market. Better stocks, bigger profits. MarketSmith is the top research platform for IBD. It's just the best tool for individual stock selection. Everything within MarketSmith is designed to bring those best stocks to the surface. It does a lot of the work for you of filtering down to the potential leaders. It's when you take the training wheels off and you're ready to invest on a more professional level. MarketSmith will help you take control of your investment life. If you want to get serious about investing, start your membership today. We are back with John Jarian on investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, John, let's continue this conversation with unusual options activity. And um, you talk, you spoke about a uh, well. You do some really great videos on Twitter, just to let everyone know. Oh, uh, okay. So you definitely want to uh, you definitely want to follow John on Twitter. But I was watching some of them, and uh, you you spoke about a stock that's near and dear to our hearts here at IBD and a lot of our our listeners, Tesla. And it, it was just really, really interesting the way you described it. And it's it's this whole other world out there that, at least for me, I'm not always paying close attention to. But walk through this monster trade that uh, some large institution was putting on Tesla a few days ago. Sure. Well, um, just as Arusha is saying, folks, um, they were buying these Tesla calls and call spreads. And then they had a unique way of paying for it that I don't recommend for everybody, <laughs> but it was certainly a really big trade. So for instance, um, every option is for 100 shares of stock. So when you see 3,000 options go up, that's of course 300,000 share equivalent. That is a huge trade in any stock, let alone uh, a $1,300 stock. <laughs> so somebody bought the January 1440 calls in Tesla with the stock at basically 1400, yeah. 1398. So they bought the 1440 calls, in other words, just out of the money in January. So they've got August, September, October, November, December, January, six months uh, before those options expire. Now they paid, get this, because it's crazy. They paid $307 per option. Again, folks, every option is for 100 shares of stock. So that means you move that little decimal point um, two over to the side. That's $30,000 per for option. one contract. One contract. <laughs> so like that $50,000 account we were talking about uh, last segment, 
you could buy one. <laughs> right, exactly. So they bought that 1440 call. They sold the January 1700 call against it. Now, this okay. requires no additional margin because you own the lower strike, you've sold the upper strike, no additional margin. Oh, that's interesting. So they paid 30000 they collected 22400 So basically, they, they, um, the difference between those two, between 30000 and 22000 let's call it 8000 yeah. um, is what the net that they paid is. In other words, that guy with 50 grand in his account could trade this several times. Well, they did That's it 3,000 times. Wow. So 3,000 times um, that uh, $8,000 is a big number, folks. <laughs> when, you're, when you're putting, you know, 220, I'm sorry, $24 million into a trade, you're pretty serious. So then what did they do? They went over to help pay for that and they sold puts in Tesla at the 900 strike. All of this is in January. So in other words, they control the stock between uh, 1440 and 1700, mm -hmm. roughly $300 of upside. And they sold the 900 puts and they collected $90. They did this whole trade for a credit into their account. Now here's the caveat. They are obligated to buy the stock if it falls below 900. Right. So if I sell a put to Arusha and he says, you know what, John, stock fell to 800. Sorry, buddy, but yours, you can have it at 900. I, that's a loser to me of that $100. Right. Um, so that obligation that that put seller took on paid for that spread to the upside. Now, on the other hand, if this thing goes out, um, at seventeen hundred or higher in January, somebody's going to make almost ninety million dollars on this trade. Wow. Wow. So it's a big trade, and it is the way, Arisha, that you would see a lot of institutions trade. I would say this is very unlikely to be a a customer. Mm -hmm. um, it's very likely to be a hedge fund that is putting on this trade, and they're saying, you know what? I didn't put up any. You know, I've I've got this obligation on my books. But other than that, I have um, a ton of money to make on, in Tesla. And I don't have to tie up 1300 bucks per share to make 90 million. In fact, I'm putting up nothing. I'm getting a credit. But then they have that obligation. So obviously, right. you need the money in your account right. to be able to withstand 3000 of these calls, or rather 3000 which is 300,000 shares of Tesla, which would be a big trade. So when you see something like this come through, now this, this is like, okay, they're definitely bullish. So you're going to go bullish at this point too, right? I mean, yeah. I, I own shares of Tesla uh, and I'm bullish on, on the stock uh, just because of the way it's acting also. But uh, it, it's, it, so when you see this coming through in your, in your, uh, through your programs, uh, that, that's what you're looking at too, right? Yes, sir. Yep. And uh, we care about the size. Um, as I've already said, we care about blocks. And this fits every category that we care about. And again, they're telling us between now and January, we think this $1,400 stock could go up 300 bucks or more. Um, and we uh, 
think it might take a while. If they thought it would have happened in the short term, they could have done this same trade in August, in September, in October. They wanted enough time to push it out till next year. And, you know, again, I have to weigh all of that information, but it's great to have that much information. And if when you see such a long time frame like that, are are does that have any influence on it? So you're, are you still going for a much shorter time frame, or maybe you'd make it more of an intermediate trade to, that you recommend um, to to your audience? I was like you. I was already long Tesla, mm-hmm. um, and I did a trade out there just three months out, not six months okay. out like this. Okay. Because six months is forever in my life. <laughs> especially in trades i'm usually within a month sometimes a month and a half but because the trade was so big i figured yeah i'll follow this guy or gal and see how it works out perfect let's go to another uh trade that that you were talking about uh twitter and this one was a, a a very recent one yeah this one was today in fact um today the 8th of july We talked about these uh, Twitter, those calls that expire Friday. (laughs) This was Wednesday, the 8th. We were talking about calls that expire Friday. The 3350 calls and the 35 calls were both bought in huge numbers today. Wow. And the people already feasted on this one. I mean, this is one where they started buying these calls. The stock was $33 a share. You guys can look it up on uh, TradeSmith, MarketSmith, sorry, on MarketSmith or IBD. It was at 33 bucks. They were buying the 33.50 calls with two days to trade. So again, the embedded information, only two days. They think they have tomorrow's newspaper today. Yeah. And uh, out of the money slightly because the stock's 33. They're buying the 33.50s. The stock went to 37 today incredible just four cents shy of 37 went to 36.96 today and those calls of course the right to buy it at 33.50 would be worth three dollars and fifty cents at that level now the uh calls were purchased when the stock was beneath 33.50 they were purchased from 40 cents up to a buck 50. so again it fits our criteria they bought 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 on the offer they did 22,000 of these like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I want to follow that. And then they started taking some profits when it hit 36 bucks. And those calls were $2.50 in the money. So literally, if they had, you know, a 10 lot of those calls, they made and they bought them for, let's say, a buck. They took it from a buck to 250. They made $150 on a $100 investment net in a day in a day so on a 10 lot fifteen hundred dollars they made on a thousand dollar investment and, and so 150 percent like that um, which is which is amazing and and so when you're in that situation john where you, you go for it and it immediately happens and and it happens so well that it's essentially a gift what, what how, how do you manage that position at that point are, are you scaling out a little bit or are you, you're going to hold it and try to let it run? It's a great question. Um, and my rules for myself trading are if I lost money on that trade, so I paid roughly a dollar 
for these calls, a dollar, a dollar ten, I think, for these calls. I didn't get in at 40 cents. Some of our subscribers did, but I didn't. Um, so um, what I would do is I would cut my loss on 50%. So if it traded down from a dollar ten to 55 cents, mm -hmm. I'd cut Perfect. it. Perfect. It didn't. Yep. Instead, it ran. And so whenever an option doubles, I want to take off half. So when this one doubled, what I did was I sold the 35 calls. I didn't take off half. I sold half of what I owned at the 35 strike calls, which then were in the money by almost $2. Okay. Because I figured, okay, I'm collecting almost $2 against this call that I paid a dollar for. Yeah. And I still have that spread, the difference between the 3350 and the 35. So I could turn this into a bigger winner by doing that. And I still have half my calls going into tomorrow. Um, I will probably be out of it tomorrow. Okay. Um, because again, Friday, I don't usually like riding these things all the way into expiration. But again, to your point, my discipline is when the option doubles, I take half off. So that way I'm disciplining myself on profits, not just on losses. And if it keeps running, then I'll either sell calls against it or just take the rest of the position off. And, and this kind of discipline just came from repetition, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and because and, I'm sure the first time you tried doing this, it was, it was probably, or when you were in this situation, it was probably really, really emotional. And, and you're, you're just battling that psychology and mentality of, what if I sell it and it keeps going higher or if I, or uh, if I hold on to it and, and, and it gives, get, you give it all back. Right. And those are the two things you don't want to have. You don't want to, I mean, once you've sold it and I've, you know, I, I, I would wager many of the people watching this have held Tesla for longer than I have because I've bought it. I've sold it. I bought it. I've sold it. I bought it. I've sold it. I'd be much richer if I just bought it and held it. I wouldn't have to do anything else. Because, you know, Tesla's been such a moonshot. I remember when the stock was 30 bucks. Yes, me too. Um, you know, now it's 1300 But I've bought it, made a profit, sold it, bought it, lost money, taken a loss, and back and forth, back and forth. But I'm a trader. That's what I do. So I always try to limit my risk and take money off the table. Perfect. Now, do you have some uh, other ideas that you want to share with us to, to end the show? Uh, sure. Let's see. I'll pull a couple up quick. Um, we've seen a lot of action in these Chinese A shares, okay. which is ASHR, you know, that uh, ETF. Oh, they were okay. buying the August 35 calls in here again today. They've oh, been buying those a lot. Yeah, that's a huge strong move. Wow. Okay. Um, AM. Um, MXIM with the stock just beneath 62. Um, we see a ton of the uh, July 65s trading. So that's not this Friday. That's next Friday, the 17th. So we see a lot of those calls trading um, for uh, 40 to 50 cents. So again, it's a small risk because it's only a 40 or 50 cent option. Um, if they fell to half of that, I'd take it off. Yep. But I have basically a week and a half to be right. And if this thing makes a move, those calls will move fast. And so I'm in those as well. You know what's amazing, John? I just pulled up this MXIM chart. And even 
just looking on the price and volume action and the way we look at it, it it's uh, it, it, it just like screaming accumulation here too to me. Uh, and, and I see the trade in our uh, in the way we look at it. So, I mean, it is pretty incredible at how sometimes these things just line up and we're looking at completely different uh, through different lenses on the market. Yep. And, you know, when you think about it, there are about, I think they think, about 140 million trading accounts in the United States. The vast majority of those uh, trade stock, probably six to 10 million, maybe it's as high as 12 million trade options. So, you know, you can look through either lens, the, the one that Arusha is looking for, the one that I'm looking through. Um, and you know, we're both looking for, okay, where is there a disturbance in the force? <laughs> where is there something going on that I want to follow? Yeah. And then you just jump on that side uh, and ride it as long as you can. Perfect. Well, so there are a few ideas that are worth adding to your watches. Thanks, John, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Arusha. My pleasure. Next week, we will have Kareem Darhali on the show. Kareem was the global head of equity trading at Deutsche Bank, and he is also the founder of the Investor app. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.